The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra, the Optimism Doctor, and this is Looking Up, a place where you can expect to find raw, transparent storytelling. Listen in to learn real science-based techniques to cultivate more optimism, resiliency, and authentic joy from artists, athletes, experts, and many more. Okay, here's the fact. Generally incurable and ongoing chronic diseases affect approximately 133 million Americans, representing more than 40% of the total population of this country. And this number is projected to grow to an estimated 157 million, with 81 million people having multiple conditions. Considering how painful and oftentimes disabling some of these conditions can be, it's no surprise that people living with chronic illnesses are two to three times more likely than the general population to suffer from depression. Despite what many may presume, important research being done suggests that happiness and chronic illness are actually pretty connected. The two can not only coexist, but while some people experience happiness in spite of their illness, others actually experience happiness by way of their illness. And it's this type of resiliency and adaptation that I find deeply inspiring and something totally worth spotlighting. Even though we can't control everything, and when it comes to chronic disease, so very much is out of our control, research indicates that people who have a high sense of control, even if in small ways, when faced with a chronic condition, are much more likely to take actions that might actually positively influence the course of their disease, like taking their medication, eating healthier, seeking out help, and exercising. But what science says is that the most potent factor of them all is having good relationships, a strong social network, and support. My guest on today's episode of Looking Up is actress Jamie Lynn Sigler. We all saw her grow up as Meadow on The Sopranos. But what you may not know is that she is a mother, a wife, a friend, and a beautiful dynamic human living with MS. She talks about being dealt a pretty shit hand of cards that helps us come to realize that life isn't determined by the cards you were dealt, but really how you play your hand. Hi. How are you? (laughs) It's so good to see you. You too. I know this has been a long time coming. I know. Did you cut your hair? I did. I chopped two feet off my hair. It looks amazing. Thank you. What really was calling me to do it was I was like, it was came at a time where I was like looking back on like the two years that I grew it out. And I was like, there was so much emotional, spiritual, and physical growth that that hard work took. And I'm ready to kind of like shop it off. And like, like reap the benefits of the growth, but stop carrying the load. Yes, exactly. Beautifully said. I mean, couldn't be more perfect for this podcast. (laughs) I know. So before we really go into the meat of this podcast, which is called Looking Up, there's a little rapid fire question that I like to call looking in that we do to start off just to kind of, I like to look at it like a way of evening the playing field and giving listeners and also myself an ability to get to know our guests more intimately and kind of for things personal about them that maybe they don't know about and that are different than how people might know you professionally. Great. So is there a book or a quote, piece of advice that has changed the way you live your life? I mean, there's a bunch, but I always can, I go back to the first quote that I've always lived by and it's from my dad and it's always limit your should have, would have, could have. People think I'm blank, but I'm actually blank. People think... I'm tough, but I'm actually really, really sensitive. Use three words to describe yourself as a teenager, like the high school years. I guess we knew you through that. (laughs) Kind of. um, Unstable, (laughs) perfectionist, hard worker. When is the last time that you cried? Last night. Care to share why? Watching The Sopranos for the first time ever. Actually, today is the anniversary of the death of James Gandolfini. And I was watching a scene with him and I last night. And I just cried just watching him because I miss him. Literally, my entire body just got chills and I got tears in my eyes because I didn't actually know that it was the anniversary today. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you a lot about that too. I actually am someone, we're going to get into this, but my husband and I watched The Sopranos 
kind of early on into our dating. So a few years back, but not when it was actually on and we watched the whole thing through and it still to this day, it's not just important to us as a couple, but I, I can't, I actually can't name a television show and we're both very, very avid TV and movie connoisseurs that is more emotionally charged and it stands the it stands the test of time. Uh, last song that you listened to all the way through. Last song that I listened to all the way through. Well, I just did a singing performance for the first time in 18 years. So it was the song Smile, you know, written by Charlie Chaplin. Yes. Smile, even though you're... That there you go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Where did you do that performance? I did it live online streaming on something called Broadway on Demand. The reason I haven't sung in 18 years is because I grew up in musical theater. It was my love. It was my life. I've been on Broadway. It was everything. But when I got diagnosed with MS and it started to manifest with me, I just assumed that that was something I could never do again. And then anytime after that, I would try to sing, I would literally cry. It was like a part inside of me that was just like grieving. Mm. So I just stopped singing completely. And this opportunity came out of nowhere like a month ago. These guys I know called me and I don't know what I was thinking, but I just said yes. And it was the most wonderful night of my life. I can't remember because it was just like, I got to remember a part of me that was really important that I want to, you know, hopefully still be able to, you know, activate now. Okay. So I've already cried twice now and it's been like, (laughs) I feel like there'll be more. That's incredible. What are three things that brought you joy without too much thought or judgment today so far? My little boys, my home. Um, I had someone new come over my house this morning for something. And, it, you know, like when you're showing someone your home, I was like, um, I love my home. I really feel really blessed to live in my home. And my husband, he's really, really helpful to me. I love that. So important our relationships and our home where we're now spending especially so much time. Are you an optimist? And what does optimism mean to you? Optimism means just somebody that just like always sees the brighter side or can always see the gift in things or can trust that things will work out. And sometimes I definitely can fall into despair. I'm somebody that always bounces back, but I wouldn't say that in the moment, I can always see the light. I definitely have times where it, you know, can get kind of dark. Well, that makes you a human. (laughs) I think that there's so much misconception out there of what it truly means to be optimistic. And a lot of people aren't aware that actually at the core of optimism is resiliency. Hmm. I would probably argue that you're a lot more optimistic than you think. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. If you put it that way, then yes, for sure. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So I, like I said, big fan, like the rest of the human population of the (laughs) Sopranos. And a lot of people are during this time started to either rewatch or for the first time all the way through watch the Sopranos. And I mean, Maybe it, maybe not to others, but it's really surprising to me that you've never seen The Sopranos. Yeah, I mean, I guess me too. I mean, I mean, I've seen little episodes or bits here and there, but I think that I was very self-critical, especially as a young girl. You know, during the entire time of The Sopranos, like I went through a lot personally. It was just hard to celebrate myself during that time. So, like, just not watching it and trusting everyone was still saying it was great, and I still had the job. Like, it was enough for me. And then, kind of, just time went by. And then when quarantine was happening and my husband and I were like, okay, let's start picking a show to watch. You know, he said to me, I think it's time for you to watch. I was at this point in my life and my career too, where I was kind of feeling low in myself. And um, he's like, I think it would be really good for you to see that you're pretty good and like what you've done. And I think it'll give you some confidence. And I think there's been enough time. You're not going to be self-critical about yourself. You're a young girl. It oddly has given me like such a sense of confidence, but also kind of just like, I can't believe I got to be a part of that. It's almost like I, I understand truly now why it has meant so much to people. Like I, I get it. I, I just, I, my mind is blown that I got to act with these people all these years and work with these writers and directors. Like I can't, I can't believe it. If I don't do anything else ever again, like I, I got to be a part of that. And I, I truly feel like I'm in embodying and like living that right now. What like a 
special honor to have actually not watched it so that you allowed at some form in your future to give yourself this time. Like, I think that's so cool to have that gift because if you would have watched it, you know, even younger and you would have gotten gifts from it then too, but it just would have been different if you rewatched it now. But being able to go through the whole thing from the start to finish now, so many years later and being removed from sort of maybe you're right, like that self-critical phase and being able to see it in a more meta way, getting the gifts that we all get to get from it, you may not have gotten before. I mean, you were 16, right? When you started. Yes. So you basically grew up on the set of The Sopranos and in... Oh, yes. In that family as Meadow. What was it like working with James Gandolfini? And like that, so many, so much of the show was about that father-daughter relationship. And Mm. I mean, it was such an emotionally intense, but real authentic human family. Like I said before, I don't know any other show that has been like that. But what was it like with him? Like, did you feel kind of like he was a father figure to you in real life? Did those blend together? I was madly in love with him. Like in a way of, you know, just like as a per, like I just, I just marveled at him all the time. He is, was the hardest worker I have ever seen in my life. Like worked so hard, took so much pride, was so hard on himself as well. Yet still like, always was conscious of how other people were feeling. Like, are you all right? Are you okay? You're good today? Like the fact that he could even take the time that's, you know, last night when I was watching an episode, I I looked at my husband and I was like, I cannot believe how he carried the show. Like this, that is so hard what he did. And the fact that I can see that from the outside and then remember who he was on the set. Yes at his core, just so good and so patient with me because I was so deeply insecure and scared, but like trying to cover it up. Like I knew what I was doing and he saw through that right away and just pushed me when I needed it and assured me when I needed it. And during those 10 years, you know, I went through a lot personally. I was diagnosed with MS, which I didn't tell anyone until he kind of pried it out of me because he could feel something was up. I got married. I got divorced. Like there was just like a lot of ups and downs during it all. And he was just somebody that wasn't like aggressive or pushy about it, but just like always had you, whether it was off screen or on screen. Like even if I showed up on a day where I was like, I am not my best today, like working with somebody like that, they just they just get you there. Just, I'm forever grateful that I got to know all the sides of him. Yeah. Wow. That is so incredible. What an amazing, I mean, obviously I never even remotely got to know him personally, but just his presence and like the loss of him was so big and I'm sure you're still feeling it. And now, especially with rewatching and the anniversary, they say grief, you know, comes in waves and it's something that we always carry. And sometimes we carry it well and other times we don't, but that doesn't mean we're not carrying it. And so what was that like for you when you found out? I had seen him like two months before and I had got to tell him that I was pregnant, my first son. And it was such a good moment because it was like, I'm so grateful I got to see him at that point because he got to see me in a good place in my life. Cause the last time we had seen each other, I wasn't like when we had finished the show and stuff. And so like to be able to celebrate and like him to be like, oh, I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy for you. It was just a good moment for him to see me. It was just a really lovely moment. But I remember I was in LA in my new home and oddly, it was so such a blessing that my mother happened to be in town over at my house, as well as my mother-in-law, as well as my husband. He was playing baseball at the time, but he had a week, uh, all-star weekend off. So he was able to fly home. So everyone was with me. And I got a call from one of my castmates. He asked me to sit down and then said, you know, we lost Jimmy. And I remember I kept saying, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand because I just, I couldn't, couldn't process it. It was a huge loss. It felt like I could, like, I could, I felt like him, like all of a sudden it was like, oh yeah, like, yeah, he's like, I felt him missing. Like, I felt like, even though I, I wasn't physically with him and hadn't seen him in months. Like I could feel like he, something was missing in my life then. And uh, when we went to his funeral in New York, 
I was able to fly because HBO had chartered a plane for people in LA because I was so I was seven and a half months pregnant. So I was able to fly on that plane. It was surreal because we had shot so many funeral scenes in Sopranos. So many times where this cast and group of people were dressed in black and playing this out. And like, here we all are in the viewing room for him. And it's real. Like so many of us hadn't seen each other in years. And there I'm like this pregnant. It was just, it was really, really surreal. A beautiful service, a beautiful celebration of his life. But yeah, I mean, I feel like you know, whether people believe it or not, I felt, I felt his presence many times in my life where like, it's almost like, I feel like I don't want to call on him. He's needed in so many other places with so many other people, but every once in a while, I feel like I can call, whether it's just his feeling or his essence or his presence of just wanting to feel that. And he feels like he always shows up and is there. And I so badly wish he was still here just so we could see more of his brilliance, but thank God we have so much of him to watch that he's done, you know? Everything that he did was phenomenal. Beyond. I also feel like it was so special because I love hearing stories about how, like, it was true, like, appointment TV, like, and it was when they would have, it was a new Sunday night was dinner, this group of people, like, it was a special memory for them of how they watched it and when they watched it. I mean, I love that I can binge a show. I mean, you know, too. I mean, when you have young children, like you got to squeeze in things, but there also is something special that like having to wait in the suspense and the the excitement for that, that. And the ritual of it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I know that you have talked a lot about and shared with so many people, which is amazing, but more so on the recent side about being diagnosed with MS And I had read a little bit that, you know, and you just said that you had hit it for a really long time. When were you diagnosed and what was your first symptoms and how did that play out and how did you keep it for so long? So I was diagnosed with Lyme's disease when I was 19 and then I was diagnosed with MS when I was 20. So I think what we thought was possibly I was misdiagnosed or the Lyme's disease could have like awoken some kind of dormant MS gene, whatever it is, but the, the symptoms were the same. And what they were was like, kind of like a heavy numbness tingling in my legs, primarily my right leg and then loss of bladder control, which, you know, and like just one day waking up like yep. that. So out, out of, of nowhere, nowhere, how frightening. Completely, completely. But we, you know, when I went into the hospital at the second time around when I was 20 and even when I had gone the first time, you know, because I when I was 19 and I I was sent, they had actually ruled out MS initially because there was they did the MRI and a spinal tap and there was no sign in my fluid or in or in the images that it was MS and they were ruling out. So I was in the ICU for like 14 days. And I remember being like, I'm gonna be like, I'm David Chase coming, people coming, like what's going on with her? And I was like, I'm gonna be fine. I'm gonna be fine. I know it. This is I'm 19 years old. I'm in the best shape of my life. Like everything's good. Right. And so then when they diagnosed me with the Lyme's and they started giving me steroids and antibiotics, I bounced right back. Everything was fine. So when the symptoms started to come back a little bit, when I was 20, I just assumed it was going to be the same thing. I would go get some steroids and antibiotics and I would be fine. So when they diagnosed me with MS, it was a a shock, but very fortunately for me, the neurologist who diagnosed me told me there is no reason that you can't think that you can have a very long and healthy life. You're going to have children. You can still act. He's like, look, if you were a ballerina dancer, I might tell you there might be at some point we might need to do some career shifts or different things for you to Mm -hmm. do, but you can like, nobody won an Oscar for running. You know what I mean? Like you can, we're going to fight this and we're going to figure this out. I think because I was so young and I was also being told by many people, like, just don't tell anyone, just don't tell anyone, keep this quiet. This is just between this small circle of people. And who was saying that? You know, a guy I was in a relationship with at the time, even my mm-hmm. parents, I, you know, my, I know they were doing their best, but my mom kind of always brought me up to be like, say, everything's perfect. Say, everything's perfect. Say, everything's mm-hmm. fine. I was always told to mask, like being vulnerable was thought of as weakness to her, I think because of whatever she went through growing up. And now it's, like, I share everything. I just feel like that's like my superpower is being vulnerable because that's how I connect with people. But then it was like, I was very closed off. And I also, there was a, a doctor that was like a Hollywood doctor where they can like, they 
give you checkups before you start each season to say that you're in good health. And I remember I had told him and he's like, look, if you're not symptomatic, I wouldn't tell anyone. Right. So I was following everybody's lead and following their advice. And because of that, I also wasn't being a very good patient. I was supposed to take a shot once a week, put, give myself a shot once a week in my leg. It was a very large needle. It made me very sick for the 24 hours after I would take it. And I'm 20 years old. I'm 21 years old. Like I didn't want to feel that way. I didn't have any symptoms. And so I was, I was not like very good about it. Little things would happen here and there. I'd lose my bladder here sometimes, or like, you know, I lived in Manhattan. So after I walked for an hour, my feet would start to drag a little bit, but like nothing that I couldn't hide. I could still wear high heels. I could still run. Nobody knew on the set what was going on. Then when I was 24, I went through a divorce and it was pretty nasty. And it was- When did you get married? At 22, 22. Okay. And so- I also was not telling people. So like the stress of that and dealing with that and this like the MS really started to rear its ugly head. And I didn't know what to do. I was so scared. I was losing everything. I was losing my job. I was losing control of my body. Like I didn't want to lose my job too. And that's when I remember Jim was like, something's up with you. What's going on? Remember we were filming a scene where he was actually in a coma. So he did, he could just lay there. So I think he was like, I got the time girl, like what's happening. I remember in the hospital set, he pulled me over and I just bawled and I told him everything. And I remember he was like, you do what you need to do, but it just felt so much better to like have somebody know. And then at the time Edie confided in me that she was battling breast cancer, which none of us knew. And in my head, I'm like, oh my God, somebody else is battling something that they're not telling people. So I can tell her too. So I remember I confided in her. And then I told a couple of other castmates, just not that I needed anybody's help, but it just felt like if I did, they would be there. Right. And then like, I started to get my life back on track. And during that time, then, you know, I still had my issues, but I was I opened up to a couple of friends as well. And just having, it felt like I had enough of support system to like help me that mentally I felt like I was getting a little bit better. And then it's very poetic, but the very last time I was ever able to run was the scene I shot running into the restaurant. The very last image you see of me, the very next day, I swear on my children, the very next day, I remember I was coming out of my apartment and went to run to hail a cab and my legs stalled up on me and I haven't been wow. able to run since. So I always feel like there was someone looking out for me that I didn't have, like got me through that show. Yeah. And then, you know, for the next six years, I kept it a secret and that was so hard. Like I look back and I just, I'm like, why Jamie? Like there's so many people that could have helped you, but, but for whatever reason, I just thought like I had to do it alone. I didn't know any other way. And I moved out to LA and I made a whole other group of friends and then like slowly started to tell certain people that I trusted. And then it started to manifest enough where people would be like, are you limping? Or what's going on? Or, or why can't you run? Like, is your back, I would say I had a back problem. They're like, well, is your back going to ever get better? And, you know, mm-hmm. work started to become something that was like miserable for me. I would come home crying every day from work because I felt like I couldn't even concentrate on my acting because I would had to be so worried about hiding the physical stuff. Right. And it wow. was just such a messy and terrible time to be honest. And I remember like certain friends and even my manager and agent at the time being like, what, what, why don't you just tell people? And I'm like, cause no one's going to give me a job. Like no one's going to, no one's going to trust me. No one's going to want me. I, and I also, I felt like telling people then I really had to accept it. Right. It made it more real. Exactly. So when I, I got pregnant by accident with my first son and at that point I was like, oh, I'm out. Great. Great excuse. I'm just going to, you know, have this baby and be a mom and take a break from all this and see what happens. And that's what I did. I actually have an autoimmune disease and they were like, oh, when you get pregnant, sometimes you go yeah. in remission. Did you go in I remission? I did. My first pregnancy, I did. Yes. So I felt great. I loved it. And also too, if like I had a little waddle or a little limp, like it was, I had a big yeah. belly. Nobody said anything to right. me. I just... I really felt like I didn't, I was for the first time in so many years, I wasn't self-conscious. 
about how I moved or how slow I was or like anything that was difficult because I was so pregnant. And you had like this socially acceptable reasoning for it. Whereas like you were thinking in your mind, which is obviously not, not true, but that like MS was not a socially acceptable reason no, for any exactly. of that. At that exactly. Point. And so then when my son was about, you know, two years old. So at this point, you know, like we would explain like, mommy can't run. Mommy's got to do this. Mommy's got to do that. And my husband and I were finally going to get married. I also had dealt with um, the sudden loss of my oldest brother who literally was here one day and then gone the next from a brain, brain aneurysm and just like a lot of, lot of just really terrible time with our family. You know, it got to this point where my mom was like, we need something to celebrate. Like let's you and Cutter get married. Cause we, you know, we delayed so many things and, you know, people magazine had called and said like, we would love to cover Jamie's wedding and use some photos. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is such a celebratory time. And also my son is getting to this age where he's going to know that I have this disease. I live with this disease, but I'm going to ask him to keep it a secret for me. Like, what do we, you know, we try to teach our children to like be accepting and that everyone's deserving of opportunity and dream big and this and that. But I'm, what kind of example is this that I'm showing him? But no one's going to help mommy if they know that she has this. And also too, right. after those years of, of keeping it a secret, I had such as like shame and guilt about it. It's such a, I think I've learned that it's a thing that a lot of people struggle with and they have chronic illness of like, yeah. and I, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do something to deserve this. It's a, it's a shitty no. hand that I was dealt, but at the same time, there's, there's gotta be a reason for it. And so I felt like at this beautiful, happy moment in my life, this was the time that I was ready to just share it. I was ready to take that leap of faith that there would still be opportunity. And even if there wasn't what I wanted to see, what my life would be like, not holding on to this secret anymore. How beautiful. So like to pair it with the most joyous occasion in your life. And also like a wedding really signifies new beginnings mm. and a new life. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I want to also free myself and free my family Yes, and give, give this whole thing like a fair shot. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it was a very emotional day for me when I knew that the, like the announcement was coming out. What was the announcement like? Like, how did you announce it? So it's going to be released through People Magazine. And so like, I woke up the morning knowing like it was put out there. And obviously I didn't know if it was, people were going to care if it was going to be a big deal or anything. Was it on the day of your wedding? No, it was a week after. So like they put a picture of the wedding and the story of the wedding, but also along with this story. I remember waking up and I was so scared. I was just like, I it was like, this just feels so, like today is different. This is complete. Like every, like anyone can know this now. Like I walk right. out on the street. Like exposed. You felt completely. exposed. And I remember my husband looked at me and he was like, Jamie, I'm going to take Bo. I want you to stay in bed. I want you to look at your phone and I want you to feel love and I want you to feel support and like, just take this all in. And I did, I sat there and I read at like all the comments and like, I just, I couldn't believe that I had deprived myself of that. Like people reaching out to me that were like, Jamie, I wish I knew, like I could have helped you. And I just, you know, I felt bad for that part of me that struggled so long and worked so hard to hide it. But at the same time was so excited about finally not doing it alone anymore. Yeah. Being able to really figuratively and literally see all the support that you had and continue to have. And it sounds like with, it sounds actually like you were ready to do that because you had that support also, like you, you were getting married to your husband Mm -hmm. who sounds extremely supportive. Beyond Your child was starting to grow up and I've got a three-year-old son and they are just so much more than we ever can give them credit for. Like they get it. Yep. I mean, I was having a tough day the other day and my son who just turned three two days ago was like, mama, you need to take a deep breath and let it go. Oh, you're teaching him so well. That's amazing. He's like putting it back on me. I had like such a, like a low parenting moment. And then he like said that to me and part of me felt like, okay, I've taught him something. But another part of me was like, why is my child having to parent? (laughs) I felt so guilty. Oh, 
I've had moments where my son Bo, I think it was like a year or two ago, I was like sitting on the couch and he could just feel that I was like going dark in my head. And he was like, Hey mommy, it's going to be okay. And I was like, you're right. You're right. Thank you. (laughs) This is sort of exposing for me too, because so I have this autoimmune disease Mm -hmm. and some of the brunt does fall upon my husband a lot because it's not to the point where it's like, I am like, well, I have this thing and I'm being treated for it. It's just like every few days I have something that's like painful. And those words of like chronic disease, it made me feel broken. Like it made me feel my body was not, was broken. I wasn't good enough. And I still carry that with me. Like there's a part, you know, like I equate my strength sometimes to just my physical ability. Yes. And, and then other times I'm able to work with myself and be like, wow, like, and and becoming a mom and going through birth and also Mm -hmm. just raising him and sustaining him has never, I've never felt stronger. Like I can't say that anymore. I'll look at that and I'll throw it back at myself and be like, wait a second. Of course I'm strong. Like look at all these things that I'm doing and I've done, but then it makes me feel like the weakest person. So I like go through that and it's so hard because even though we're more than our bodies, our physical health is something that is so deeply connected to our emotional health. And I'm wondering from you, how does having MS impact your daily life and and physically? But I know you said the one like big thing is that you can't run. How does it impact your life physically? And also like all the other aspects of life, um, relationships, parenthood, you know, intimacy with with your husband, like how does that, how does that impact it? And how do you, how do you deal with it? It has impacted my life in every single way you know, I could sit here and like you be like, oh no, guess what? But I still can do this. I look at all the stuff I've been doing with this. Yes. Like I can celebrate and have that and realize that, but everything is harder. I mean, I'll have moments where I'll just, you know, fantasize, like say, like if I could just wake up and not have to worry about how I move or if I'm stiff or if I'm in a trip or waiting for somebody to help me up the stairs. Like if I could just have a day where like my walking, I didn't even have to think about it. Like, Oh my God, I not, I'd have no problem. Like I literally like everything would roll off my back. I mean, it's truly, it's truly something I fantasize about. I mean, I, I deal with spasticity, stiffness. I mean, I walk with a limp most of the time you know, there's vanity things. Like I really can't wear high heels and I really miss that. You know, you know, you feel sexy. It feels great. I I can't run, like we said. So I have to be very conscious because I still take a lot of pride. Like I want to do things alone with my children. Like I don't want to always have to have my nanny with me or even my husband or a friend. So like, I have to be conscious. Like if I, you know, pre-COVID days, if I take them to a park, it has to be completely gated. Right. Cause in case like that, one of them runs off. Cause my little one's a bolter. Like he is like a Tasmanian devil all over the place. You know, there's times where I want to play with them. Like I'll look at other moms with the part at the park that are like running with their kids and this and that. And like, sometimes I'll look at my kids and feel bad that they don't mm-hmm. get that with me. But then it's, then again, they get a mom who puts her phone down every day and sits and plays whatever they want on the floor and I push myself beyond what I physically can do all the time for them. And right. I have no problem with that. But then that also means at the end of the day, like my husband doesn't get a whole lot from me. And intimacy, right. You're exhausted. Yeah. And intimacy is a thing because it is really important to us in our relationship. But at the same time, like when you're not feeling great in your body, that's the last thing you want. And so that's definitely been a hurdle for us. I truly, truly, truly understand that. Like in more ways than you know. You know, like I said, I was like, if I'm, you know, stiff and tripping and like feeling like I can't hold my bladder, like the last thing I yeah. want to do is have sex. Like I don't feel right. sexy. I don't feel good. I'm in pain. So I, I've I've learned to um, put myself first in places where like, I get, I get a massage twice a week. It's like, that's my, that's my indulgence. That's my thing. And it's not even indulgence. It's like, sounds like it's survival. 100%. But you know, but of course we frame it like that because we're women. I I get that, but I'm just like that enables you to move better and feel sexy and helps with calmness and, and all of that. And, and relieves the stiffness. Then like, that's, 
actually like survival and that's necessary. Totally. It's essential. Totally. Not not an indulgence. No. I just want to reframe that for you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the only place that it's still really tricky for me to be very honest is at work. People have been so helpful and it's just given me such faith in humanity. Like people love to be of service. Like you don't, I didn't realize like how much people love to help. And so, you know, being able to say like, Hey, can we shoot it this way? Or like, I, that's going to be harder for me or this, and that, like people are so willing to be helpful, which I'm appreciative, but I still in my everyday thing, like I look down at the floor because like, I assume I'm going to make people uncomfortable when they see me move. I, I mean, it's also probably a thing of me feel like when you connect with somebody, like I feel very seen. So I just kind of yes. trying to hide from that, but I, you know, I, I still fight it and try and hide it. Cause I'm not necessarily playing characters that have MS or anything like that. And I had an you know, a dollar for every time I've said to my husband, I'm quitting, I'm done. I like, I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. Like I shouldn't be doing this anymore, but then there's just a moment, either I'll watch something or I'll I'll get a role and I'll have at least one scene. And I'm like, Oh, but I love it so much. I think acting is just still the part that I struggle with the most with this disease. Cause I just sometimes just feel like I don't, I don't know how I fit in. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because also too, like, so many people say to me, like, you don't look sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know what that yeah. means, but like, sure. I, I look really healthy because I take the best care I can of myself. I, you know, I try to work out two to three times a week. I eat really healthy. I drink a lot of water. I, I do all the things to look it, but like, then when I go to move, it doesn't look like young, sexy woman part. And no one's ever made me feel this way, but sometimes too, I'll feel like I'm such a burden. Like I'll be like, I feel so bad that they have to deal with this. And I remember a director once telling me, he's like, Jamie, like everybody has something. And this is your thing. Like I've had to deal with an actor that was an alcoholic. I had to deal with an actor that was temperamental, that I had to deal with this. He's like, you're none of the other things, you know, this is the thing, but it's still, it's still really hard for me. It it really is. From the outside, so much easier said than sort of someone being able to internalize it, but like also to look at like how lucky they are to have you in their project rather than like, you know, just focusing on I'm a burden, like how lucky they are to have you in your talent in this project. And they would be so so available to want to accommodate, you know, anything, especially something like that, which is not, it's not that you're dealing with a behavioral issue or I've heard that a lot on sets. Um, it's something you don't have control over and you're working really hard to do. And there's a lot of different ways that I'm sure you've learned and your, you know, colleagues have learned to work around and make things a little easier. And like, I think just like having to, maybe rewatching Sopranos will be such a helpful way to be like, people are lucky to have me on their set. That's the exact reason why my husband told me that we should watch it because he's like, I want you to get, I I would be nothing without him. Like he, that's why he said, he's like, I want you to watch you before this. He's like, because when you watch yourself now, you all you, I see you, you watch how you're moving. Don't watch your acting at all. He's like, so I want you to watch it yourself before all of this to remember that that's still what you can do. Any like gifts that MS has given you and and coming out with it has given you? Now, more often than not, I look at the MS as what it's given me as opposed to what it's taken away. And I'm sure that's taken a long time to get to. Oh, yes. And a oh, lot yes. of work. It's been a lot of work and just living and process and, and you know, but I think that who I am right now. And it's funny, I I had this kind of spiritual kind of sit down with some friends not too long ago. And I remember I said, we were talking about like what we think our gifts are. And I said, I think one of my greatest gifts is that I can see what everyone brings to a room. And I am here to like celebrate that and support that. Like, I feel like I can genuinely connect with like, and I can see who everyone is and appreciate them for who they are. But sometimes I don't feel like I don't know what I bring to a room. Mm-hmm. And I remember all my friends being like, you bring safe, you make us all feel safe and you don't make us feel judged and you make us feel accepted. And like, I know that I am able to do that for others 
because of VMS. Like I, because mm. I understand, I understand pain, I, physical mm. and mental and emotional. And I understand, you know, I just understand people. I understand just how hard life is. And I under, I can, I, I just, I can love you despite it all. And even despite not knowing, I think that's such an, like living with it for so long and not sharing. I'm sure you have this extra sort of like that, that whole idea that people try to live by of like, you never know what someone's going through. Yes. And I'm sure that's something that you are so aware of when you connect with another human, even someone that you're probably good friends with. Thank you. That's what I'm trying to say. Exactly. I always want to make people feel better after like being with me. That's amazing. And, and like when you're being authentic, then a person that you are connecting with feels that, you know, they can share and be seen and be heard because that level of, and, and, and sadly, it's just like, not, it's not as common as I think. And sometimes it does take going through something less than ideal or a deep, dark moment or struggle to really be able to, to have that gift. Totally. And I think that's, Amazing. Are there any tools or rituals, more like practical everyday things that you have found that have really helped you either kind of just stay on track emotionally or even like in the times where you feel like you're going through a flare or something really difficult? What are some things that you've learned really work for you? Breathing. (laughs) I feel like sometimes I'll be like, and have I, when was the last time I really took a breath? Um, so like even just like two minutes of like, you know, breathing mm-hmm. in, holding it in, breathing out. And like, when I breathe out, I just imagine just like all the shit just going out the bottom of my yes. feet. And it sounds crazy, but like looking in the mirror in my eyes and just saying, I love you can be such a difficult thing. It can be such a like it can really, you know, affect you in a lot of different ways, but just like looking and being like, like, just feeling like I see, like I, I, sometimes I'll be like, I see how hard you're working and this I'm on like, cause if sometimes you can get frustrated when you feel like other people aren't understanding how hard things mm-hmm. are. And I, I'm not, I'm not somebody that complains. I'm never someone, I, I don't like being the person like, this is hard. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Like for what, that's just not me, but that can also be, you know, a detriment to me because I'm, I'm bottling it all up. So sometimes it's just even looking in the mirror and being like, I see you and I know how hard you're working and I appreciate it. And I like, I love you as you are. And also to be honest, and I'm sure you can feel this, like my kids, like they love me no matter what my son, I put him to bed two nights ago and he looked at me and he's like, Hey mommy, cause he's been asking a lot about death and what happens when we die and do we come back and this and that. Mm-hmm. And, um, he said to me, if I come back again as a person, I'm going to choose you to be my mom again. Okay. Third time, (laughs) fourth time I've cried. And I was just like, thank you so much. Because especially, you know, during this quarantine, I've not been my best many times and none of us have. And just to know that like with all of my stuff, like he still wants me again. Yes. Yes. He'd still choose you over a hundred times. I think our kids are our greatest teachers. Like we think yes. we're here to teach them this and that, but oh no, they teach me. You know, I shared the other day that for Jag's birthday, he just turned three a couple of days ago, I said, and yeah, I was thinking back to the day that he was born and kind of maybe it's self-fulfilling prophecy, but I, I didn't expect to have sort of perfect birth. I kind of went into it knowing that first of all, you can't really plan for that. And there are no plans that turn out that way, but I don't think I went into it thinking it would be how it was, but in retrospect, I was like, Oh, of course mine was going to be a very crazy, stressful story, but there was still so much magic in it. And without going into a whole detail of the birth story, I remember like for so long people saying that, when your child is born, they put your child on your chest and you help regulate them and you Mm -hmm. regulate their temperature. And I just kept thinking that when they put Jag on my chest and I had a C-section, it was an emergency C-section and I was being stitched back up, Jag regulated me. I don't know what I did for him, but they put him on me and I knew in that moment, like 
this child was going to teach me. Mm. He regulates me all the time. And especially during quarantine, I think I felt it the most during quarantine. Of course we would, but it was really difficult to find my like mojo and to feel sexy again. And then to have some of the other, like just the inflammation and the like that stuff where you just constantly are feeling like a burden. So how do you feel sexy? Oh, that's, I mean, look, I mean, especially after all of that, my big, you know, one of my things I remember telling my husband was like, sometimes at the end of the day, I'm touched out. Like Mm -hmm. our our kids are all over me. Like even after I was done nursing, like it's just sometimes like I need to, like, I need my body back. What I've learned that helps me feel sexy was giving me at, like, I'm, I tell them, like, if you even want to like approach the subject of sex tonight, like you need to give me 30 minutes completely alone. I don't want them banging on the door, like figure it out, take them outside, like where I can shower, I can shave, I can put lotion on, or I even just lay in bed and watch Bravo. Like, give me a moment to reconnect with myself, not as a mom, like as just Jamie, like, and it, it, I mean, trust me, he's like, he is down to give me that time because he knows what happens yes. when he does. Yes. Like, it's very important. Like we, we forget as mothers to like, that we still have other parts of ourselves. And I mean, I think it's also something you take pride in that like you care so much, you become such a selfless, selfless human. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful gift that motherhood gives you. But at the same time, like you still need to like celebrate those other parts of yourself. So and also too, we, we make sure that we have four to five times a year, a weekend away. We will book certain family to fly in, whatever it is to stay with the kids. So like they're, they're excited about the new people. They're going to like my parents, his parents, whatever. And we only go local. Like we'll drive down to Laguna or we'll drive to mm-hmm. Santa Barbara, like something that's simple, but like those weekends away are everything for us because we just reconnect as a couple and it kind of like gets us through like the next couple of weeks or a few months until we can do it again, because you have to remember who you are without kids too. You know, it's, it's my favorite moments are the moments where we let go of schedule. Like last night, my husband was like, it's seven 15. I was like, my kids are just starting to play together. They're four and a half years apart. So it's been hard, but they're just starting to play together. And they both wanted to get naked and go in the pool last night at seven o'clock. And I was like, go. Go, and I just do it. sitting on the lounge chair with my husband, watching the two of them swim and laugh and be silly. I was like, this, these are the moments I envisioned like as a family. And like, these are the moments I want them to remember of like those summer nights where they got to stay yes. up late and be naked and silly. Like that makes me feel more connected to him because like it's yes. our family that we built together. So there's also those special moments because I'm a very type A, like I'm a schedule person and like yes. things like I plan how they're going, they're going to go and I want them to go that way. But letting that go every once in a while makes me feel looser and me more, you know, playful, I guess, which then can translate later to feeling sexy, you know? Last couple things. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but this was so amazing. What's looking up for you? What are you most excited about? What are some, or what are some things that if you are working on that you'd like to share or just what are you hopeful and optimistic about? You know what, honestly, this, this whole quarantine, like in the beginning of just feeling like there's, there was nothing, there was nothing I was missing out on. There was nothing happening that maybe I could be a part of, or I wish I was a part of or anything like feeling like letting myself off the hook that way. I really decided I want to just translate into my life. And I'm very excited to just kind of feel like and I've worked so hard at this and tried to figure it out. And it's finally coming where I'm kind of just letting go. And I'm a, I'm very fortunate where I'm in this position where I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's coming, but like, I'm totally cool right here. And I'm happy right here. And I'm grateful for the things I have in my life. And that my husband has a job that's stable and I can, I don't have to have a job. Like I can still like, I'm just feel like I'm really looking forward to finally like walking the walk and talking the talk of somebody that's just like, I'll see what happens. And I really kind of feel like that's where I'm at right now. That's powerful. It is. It is. So freeing. One of my sort of teachers um, a long while back, I remember in undergrad at UCLA used to always say after everything, I remember she used to always just say like, oh, how fascinating, like just after anything. Mm. And so she would like, she taught me if you just like, even it doesn't have to be a positive spin. It doesn't have to be negative, but like this idea of almost like a neutral, 
response to like anything with like, how fascinating and like finding the curiosity in it. Like the real work and the real joy is in the resiliency. Mm. And you really illustrated that. And it's amazing. And that is part of the gift of the shitty thing you were dealt. Yeah. So it's pretty, pretty incredible. And you've really inspired me. I'm sure you're going to inspire tons of other people and you probably do already. But the last thing that we do to close off the Looking Up podcast is if we were together, you would have picked one yourself, but we pick a card from the things, from my things are looking up, optimism deck of cards, which I need to get you one of. Yes, please. I'm just going to pick a random card for you. And basically it means that this podcast recording comes with homework. So you can take this prompt with you for the day. Random card. Okay. This one might be a little tough given the quarantine, but okay. Here's an easy prompt to do that sometimes doesn't feel so easy. Smile at a random stranger today without any expectation of what you might get in return. This is a double joyful act, one that will ignite happiness in both you and a stranger. Oh, and it's completely free. So I guess it's a little tough with quarantine, but if you're out and about, yes, I know you have a mask on. Or if you're driving and you just sort of make eye contact with someone, maybe just slip them a smile. I love it. I love it. Well, that's, remember, it's the last song I listened to. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. I love how like picking a random card so far for my guests on the podcast have been like, it has just made sense every time. And that's the, that's the song between me and my brother who passed too. So like that means so much to me. I love it. Wow. That's so amazing. Mm-hmm. And I hope that we hear more of your beautiful voice and how Thank cool you. that after 18 years thinking you couldn't do something. So many of my friends were like, how did you have the balls to do that? And I didn't, I never even thought twice. I was like, oh, now I'm thinking back of it. I have no idea, but I just, I just felt like I was me again you know, call it like my, I'm a Taurus, I'm stubborn, whatever it is. But I, like you say, it's resiliency. I just think sometimes like it's, and for you, it's dancing. Like, you know, like sometimes it's good to connect with parts of ourselves that like we, yes. we don't do. It's really important and you never know what can happen from it. I mean, so true from your friends to say that because after 18 years of thinking you couldn't do something and it was lost, you didn't just like go in the shower and do it. Like you did it live. Yeah, no. I mean, I would never even open my, my mouth like because I would start to cry when I would sing. Like it was like a, wow. like a, and so I just like, I called a vocal coach and we Zoomed for three weeks and I just did it. And it was, it, it, I also felt like it was like a gift to my parents, especially my mom, who was like such an integral part of like my early career and driving me to all my plays and musicals. And it was like, I know it meant the world to her to see me do that. So yeah. That's amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. It was such a pleasure. I loved talking with you. Thanks so much for listening to Looking Up. For more optimistic content, follow me at Dr. Deepika Chopra. For more info and how to get your very own Things Are Looking Up optimism deck of cards, head to thingsarelookingup.co. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Our theme music is Me and Shaw Day by Tommy, courtesy of Terrible Records. I'm your host, Dr. Deepika Chopra, and I'll see you next Monday for your weekly dose of optimism.